You're listening to Deep Dives with Sharks, a shark podcast focused on shark species, shark safety both for you and the sharks, and news from the past couple weeks. Sit back, relax, it's time to take a dive. Hello and welcome back, Shark Hears, to another episode of Deep Dives with Sharks. I am the host here. My name is Alex, and I appreciate your patience as always. I'd also like to thank you all for your feedback from the social media posts that I made. I'm going to try to implement as many things as possible, but I can't really promise that I'll get to do all of it as some things aren't entirely doable. A lot of things do depend on the amount of time that I have, which is why I'll probably end up going back and going over some of the older episodes in the future to update information and just make sure that I thoroughly went through that species. Um, Also, that's the time constraint is why I'm usually late. But there are some times where the shark just doesn't have a whole lot of info on it. Um, so like the Carolina hammerhead, the only things that I could find on that were that they go into bays and estuaries and the Carolinas to breed and pup, if I remember correctly. So they really only got a tiny shout out in the hammerhead episode. So sometimes there's just not a whole lot out there. Uh, I will try to implement a lot of the things that you guys mentioned, and if you have any other ideas or things that you'd like to see me do, uh, feel free to hit me up on the socials, uh, Deep Dives with Sharks on Instagram and on Twitter or X. It is going to be Deep Dive Sharks. So real quick before we get into the shark for this week, I do have a correction corner to go over. I do want to issue a quick apology. As in the last episode, I said that people who shark fin are, quote, lame as hell, end quote. But this was because I've always looked at that issue through a privileged lens, and I've had other options for work and to make a living. But I was listening to Sharkpedia, which I recommend all of you do. Uh, They pointed out that some people in the world don't have another option for protein or to make a living, so the alternate is just starving. So now that I know that, I would like to adjust my statement to those who have a means and options to make a living doing something different and still choose to participate in shark finning, they're lame as hell. So I'll stand by that. But I also did get a question from uh, someone, which I will say that I would like to turn this into questions slash correction corner. So if you guys have questions you want me to answer on the podcast, feel free to once again send them into any of my social media, and I'll try to update that on here. Uh, But one of my friends, recent engaged man and recent new dad, Austin, who asked if humans are born with all their adult teeth packed in their face, do sharks just have billions of teeth packed in their jaws? And the answer is dependent on species and the type of tooth. So the way that humans are born is that you have your gums, and then after a couple months, you start growing in your teeth, and then, of course, years down the line, those baby teeth start falling out, and then your adult teeth come through and take the place in the root there and then poke through everything like that. We, we all have lost teeth before, most likely. If you haven't, it, it's going to happen. But sharks are rather different. They're born with their entire set of teeth off the jump and then they have a couple sets of teeth behind that so that's where the rows of teeth come in and they kind of have what's known as like a tooth conveyor belt so as a tooth falls out a tooth just moves forward uh, once again depending on the species so like great whites a tooth will move forward cookie cutters an entire row but from there uh, they just kind of keep growing teeth as their life goes on they have specialized cells that will grow those teeth for them so that way they can just keep that tooth conveyor belt moving and get the teeth going forward but some sharks like the cookie cutter shark will often swallow the row of teeth they just lost to help get more calcium to produce more teeth in the future since their diet isn't really calcium rich now saltfish which are technically a type of ray are interesting because their teeth on their rostrum aren't replaceable so if a saltfish loses its tooth 
on its rostrum, it won't regrow it. But a saw shark, I believe, can replace its teeth. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky and complicated. So the short answer is that sharks grow teeth throughout their whole life, but humans, they're born with the sets of teeth that they will have. Now, I'd like to add at the end of this a very load-bearing, I believe, because I looked this all up and I believe I have accurate information, but it also got very technical and I'm not sure if I understood it completely. So this is me trying to get the information out correctly, but I'm also adding that maybe also look into it yourself a little bit just to be sure. Um, but of course, if someone does know better, please let me know. I'll be more than happy to update this in the corrections corner. Every corrections corner is just going to be about teeth now, I swear. But <laughs> a quick shout out to Sharkpedia. Uh, some of the information that I get is from them. And I've also been binging their podcast. I'm absolutely hooked. It's amazing. Uh, and that's where I learned that cookie cutter sharks tend to eat their teeth. So that's a nice little fun fact. But on to the shark for this week. Now, this one was probably one of the most requested sharks I've had uh, ever since I started putting those up on the podcast episodes pretty much almost every episode has this shark and also it's been sent to my dms on the social media but we're going to go over the greenland shark so i think this one got recommended probably i think got to the double digits it was probably at least 10 15 20 maybe 30 times it was so many but <laughs> this one uh they're also known as the gray shark which there are quite a few of those i feel like every shark i go over their other nickname is the gray shark it's also known as the gurry shark and in the greenlandic language which i don't know how to pronounce the name of the greenlandic language because i'm not going to try because i'm going to try to say the name of it in greenlandic which i'm probably going to mess up and i really do apologize but it's the equalusak it's E-Q-A-L-U-S-S-U-A-Q. -S -S There's a lot of Qs in there, and I do not know how to pronounce a Q after an A, so I apologize. But Greenland sharks are closely related to Pacific and Southern sleeper sharks, and the three of them are often misidentified as each other. They are rather large growing uh, to sizes of 2.4 to 7 meters or 7.9 to 23 feet long, which is quite a range. And they weigh around 400 to 1400 kg or 880 to 3090 pounds. They typically are found in frigid waters of the Arctic and tend to spend time around the northern Atlantic, around Canada, northern Europe, and of course found around Greenland. But they've been found in a lot of weird places, including deep in the ocean off the coast of North Carolina. And one was in the Gulf of Mexico, which I assume it just wanted a tan, although it was rather deep. But speaking of that color, they are usually pale gray or brownish black with an occasional spots or darker stripe along their back. They are rather round and have short rounded snout as well as very small fins. Their eyes and gill slits are also rather small, so big body, small everything else. They typically reside between the surface and 1,500 meters or 4,900 feet, depending on the temperature of the water. So the ones that are further south are rather deep. The ones in the freezing waters tend to be closer to the surface. These sharks migrate frequently, but instead of traveling from one location to another, it's more of a migration between depths as the temperatures and food source changes. And speaking of food, they do have an interesting variety of food that you probably would be surprised about unless you yourself are a Greenland shark or know more about them. They eat mostly fish, but also consume smaller sharks, seals, skate, eels, herring, flounder, lumpfish, cod, and others. Their stomach contents have shown that these sharks are active hunters despite only moving around 1.22 kilometers an hour 
4.76 miles an hour with bursts up to 2.6 kilometers per hour or 1.6 miles per hour. So they are flying. Researchers have found reindeer, moose, and seals in their stomachs and believe that since these animals all swim faster than the Greenland shark, these sharks must be ambush predators catching seals while sleeping and moose and reindeer while taking a rest while swimming. They also did find an entire reindeer in the stomach of a Greenland shark. The Greenland shark is able to sneak up on prey by blending into the ocean around them and not creating a lot of disturbance in the water through their slow movement. They are also able to create a lot of suction when opening their buccal cavity, which, from what I understood, is essentially just their mouth and beginning of their throat. Once again, there's a lot of technical terms in here that are scientific, and I, once again, am not really a scientist. I am more of a fan of sharks that made this. But when they open up their mouth and get that suction going, that helps to stop prey from escaping, so it's sort of like a tractor beam. Uh, they did find that entire reindeer in the stomach, which is what gave them that theory that they get the sh uh, the suction there, and that's how the sharks hunt since it has not been observed. Now, Greenland sharks are believed to be the longest living vertebrate on Earth, as their lifespan is believed to be around 300 to 500 years. Now, researchers are able to use radiocarbon dating of the crystals in the lens of these sharks' eyes to determine their age, and in 2016, a specimen was dated to be 392 plus or minus 120 years old, which is still insanely old. So to break that down a little bit, they believe that the shark was born between 1504 and 1744, which would put it older than the United States, which claimed independence in 1776. But if you base America's age off of certain individuals founded it in 1492, then discovery occurred 12 years before this shark was born if its birth date is 1504 is more accurate than 1744. So the way that, that carbon dating the plus or minus gives that 120 years on either end, I believe. So once again, not very technical on this, but... <laughs> These sharks also have a very interesting parasite, which is a wild sentence to write. The copepod Omatocotia elongate, someone correct me, is found on the eye of Greenland sharks and will eat away, causing the shark to become blind. These sharks do mostly rely on smell and sound to hunt, so losing their eyesight does not hinder them as the majority of the species have these parasites. They are also found in very low light areas, so not having eyesight probably was part of the package from the go. It is believed that these parasites may be bioluminescent, which means that they glow at night, and they might help lure prey in for the sharks so they can eat, although that has not been proven. There's a lot of theories about these sharks. Researchers also believe that these sharks reach reproductive maturity when they are 150 years old, and efforts to protect these sharks is needed since it takes them so long to mature, thus putting the population at risk. These sharks have some adaptions to help them survive, such as two nitrogenous compounds that help increase buoyancy as well as adapt to the breakdown caused by deep water pressure and urea. They also possess three types of hemoglobin in their blood to help slow the use of oxygen, uh, helping with the longevity, especially living in lower oxygen depths and temperatures. The screen... The skin of Greenland sharks is toxic to consume and has caused sled dogs who consumed it to have trouble standing and performing other duties. There are ways to treat it and it will detoxify it, but it can involve boiling, burying it, and leaving it for weeks to months to be detoxified, and that's if you're trying to consume the skin. Greenland sharks also have a strong position in Inuit legend due to their high urea content in their skin and their size. 
One such legend is that the, an old woman washed her hair in urine, which at the time was a very common cure to head lice. Thank God we have other methods now. But the rag she used to dry her hair blew into the ocean, becoming the first Greenland shark. Another story is of Sedna, an Inuit legend where her father cut off her fingers and drowned her, not quite sure why, uh, but each of her fingers became a different creature of the sea, one such being the Greenland shark, and I do believe another one was one of the seals, but it, it goes on through there. But it's very violent and messed up, but we were not there. They have cemented themselves as the apex predator of the Arctic Ocean, although they are currently listed as vulnerable because of bycatch, being hunted for their oils, and the amount of time it takes them to become mature and able to repopulate, their numbers can go down much quicker than they can go back up. But that is what I have for the shark portion of the podcast. Of course, send any questions, anything like that, any suggestions over to the social media, and I can answer it there or put it in a future episode as well. Now, moving on to shark safety. For this week, we simply went over how to help sharks in your everyday life. So it's a little bit different than what we normally do. Uh, this was brought to us by World of Sharks by the Save Our Seas Foundations. And also another great podcast to look up is uh, World of Shark there. It's a great one too. Um, but I typically go over what to do if you're on the beach and this happens, that happens, how to protect sharks, how to protect yourselves. But I really always hear about how we can do stuff in our everyday life to protect sharks and then never really knew what to do. Uh, and then by the time it'd be ready for me to actually look into it, my ADHD would kick in and I'd forget. So I decided instead of just telling you guys all that, uh, just do stuff and change stuff that I'll actually do the research and give you the suggestions to help support sharks no matter where you live. So the first way that you can help sharks revolves around bycatch. And bycatch is when fisheries are going for a certain fish but end up with other fish such as sharks in their nets, which ends up killing the shark. Of course, I'm not going to tell you to manage your bycatch because if you're rod and reel fishing, you aren't really going to get a shark as bycatch. And if you live in a landlocked area and you don't fish at all, but you could still be contributing to it without realizing. So fish such as tuna and swordfish create a lot of bycatch. And these can be bought in canned forms in many grocery stores. A way to help sharks is to look at the can before you buy and find brands that say sustainably caught and for the blue fish label by the Marine Stewardship Council. That certifies that the fish was in fact sustainably caught. This helps to maintain fish populations as well as limit the amount of sharks lost due to bycatch. There's also shark meat in markets that is disguised as other types of meat, such as rock, flake, or husk meat, uh, can be shark in actuality. These types of meat could be spiny dogfish or even scalloped hammerhead or shortfin mako. It does get tricky, though, as living in Maryland and going out on the Chesapeake Bay, I've gone and caught rockfish, so it wasn't uncommon to see rockfish meat there. Uh, so, of course, rockfish aren't actually sharks. There are some meats that will be classified as that, though, so it's always okay to ask how it was caught, and if it looks suspect, just buy something else. There's no need to harass or argue the vendor, as they might just work there and they weren't part of catching or filleting the fish, so they really don't know. So, you can ask your questions if they don't really have a good answer or they don't know themselves. Just pick something different, worst case scenario. Now, shark bits can also be found in certain cosmetics, so be sure to check your products that use squalene or squalane which is interesting. So it's S-Q-U-A-L-E-N-E -E or S-Q-U-A-L-A-N-E, a product from shark liver oil as one of the ingredients. Sharks aren't only hunted for their meat, they're also hunted for cosmetics and similar products. Uh, with this as well, 
uh, you can reach out to your legislators. Of course, if you live in a landlocked area, it's rather easy to not overfish the sharks in your state or country since you may not have a fishing industry that targets sharks really at all, or any fish for that matter. But you can still reach out to politicians in Congress in the U.S. or the equivalent in your country to back sustainable fisheries and create restrictions around overfishing. This doesn't necessarily mean to go as heavy as a shark finning ban, which many countries have done, as this was helpful, but there still is need for seafood, so banning fishing altogether isn't really an option. I'll admit it, I do love seafood, but I want to be able to continue to eat seafood throughout the rest of my life and not think back on the times that I could eat a fish. So we need governmental help to put some regulations out there to protect our oceans to allow the population to flourish and be around for years to come. Now, this one is a huge one. This one is to limit your carbon footprint. This pretty much says to try to limit the amount of impact you have on the environment. Bike or walk instead of taking a car. Recycle when possible. Try to use less water and electricity. Live by the motto, reduce, reuse, recycle. Of course, this is easier for some people than others. Currently, it takes me to get to work about 20 minutes by car, and by bus, it would take me an hour 15 because there isn't a route from my apartment to where I work, and I don't have a train option, and walking would take about five hours. So there isn't really a better option by car for now. I might be switching jobs, but whatever. But I'm not going to argue to ban cars because that's not a realistic option. Of course we need cars, but if there's a way that you can walk somewhere or if you can get around biking or doing something similar, that's a good option too. Yeah, biking's not an option for my current job either. It's, I got to go on a highway. It's a problem. But... <laughs> It's going to be a big fight to take up, and it seems like it doesn't really matter what one person does. But the more people that are doing it makes a bigger impact. So, of course, you might get a little bit discouraged, but do what you can, and don't feel guilty for what you cannot. We've all accidentally littered before. When we wind took a piece of trash we were going to throw away and put it into the water or threw it out the car window or something like that. We've all made that mistake, and we've all accidentally littered, so... Just don't throw trash out of your car, recycle when possible, check labels for sustainable practices, and try not to use products that have shark bits in them. So that's really all you got to do. Of course, if you're even trying in the first place, that's a huge step because, of course, we're fighting this uphill battle, but every little bit counts. And that is what I have for the shark safety bit for this week. A little bit quicker, but there's not a whole lot that we can do uh, in our everyday life other than just those things mentioned because those are the biggest ways that sharks are caught and hunted for so of course if we limit those that will also limit the amount of sharks that go missing and the amount of populations that we have to list as extinct but moving into shark news i do have two nice stories for you guys this week well i'd say they're both interesting at least but one's one's a little bit of a roller coaster but we'll get into that the first one that i have is that six bull sharks inadvertently made made their home on an australian golf course and then they vanished, and this was reported by CNN. So this is the one that's a roller coaster, so strap in. But this is definitely worth a read, and look, the golf course is landlocked but has some lakes across the course, and after some heavy rains and flooding in 1991, 95, 96, and 2013, there was a, I always want to say land bridge, but that's the opposite thing. If you guys are history buffs, you know that the land bridge was that bit from Russia to Alaska. Anyway, I could go on about that forever. But anyway, it, it was more of like a river. It created a, a water bridge from the lake to the river nearby. Over that time, six juvenile bull sharks had swam into the lake and did not leave before the way back to the river dried up. 
Now, there had been rumors that sharks had been spotted, but nobody really believed them until someone got a video that they called terrible, but it was actually a great image of the shark. I could identify that it was a bull shark right from that video. It was taken a way long time back, but that quality, it holds up. So from there, the golf club then embraced its new shark mascots and added a shark to their logo, as well as renaming their youth program as the Junior Shark Academy, which I absolutely love. This is the way that you should do it. They also did put up signs to let people know, and they forbid swimming, as well as not letting anyone go into the lake to dive for golf balls, because there's bull sharks there. They it's kind of the same thing I've said in previous uh, safety segments where the easiest way to not get bit by a shark is don't go in the water. And if you know there's six bull sharks in a lake, maybe don't jump into the lake. It's just an idea. Uh, but unfortunately, since then, these sharks have gone missing. Only two were found dead. One was floating at the surface after a large storm, which they assumed that one killed it. And then one was just illegally fished, which is rather upsetting. But they believe that after a large storm in 2013 that created more flooding, the sharks returned to the river or they were killed by the storm, unfortunately. Now, they do not believe that these sharks could have died in natural ways if they were killed. But more recent uh, flooding officials hope that this brings more sharks into the lake. Uh, they, they do have plans to eventually fill in that lake although they will move all residents, any fish or sharks, to redo the course, and they'll remove them, relocate them, so that way they're not just going to kill a shark, which is, I think, awesome. But uh, they're hoping that more sharks end up in the lake, so that way they can have that nice image once again. But yeah, I thought that was kind of neat, uh, especially because it was a freshwater lake, and it goes to show how adaptable bull sharks are. They, they're they kind of tanks of the ocean. It's rather nuts. But we do have another story that is a... New species of shark discovered in Mammoth Cave, and this is from Fox 56 in Kentucky. So, new shark just dropped, kind of. Researchers digging in the St. Genevieve Formation layer of rock were able to find the petal tooth shark fossil. Mammoth Cave National Park has been turning up many fossil records recently as researchers and paleontologists have had more access to the park and its resources. They named the specific species after a guide at the park who has helped to find many fossils since the program began in 2019. Now, this is an amazing archaeological, archaeological discovery and hopefully will be the first of many more to come. Of course, some of you may be wondering how fish fossils ended up in landlocked areas, and that's simply because of how the Earth has shifted over the billions of years it's been around. I mentioned in the Megalodon episode that their known breeding grounds were on the eastern shore of Maryland and central Florida, both of which are near the Atlantic Ocean, but both are about an hour drive or more from the water. Florida also has the Gulf of Mexico and Maryland has the Chesapeake Bay, but both are still about an hour anywhere from where the Megalodon used to breed. So as the earth shifted, waterways became land, land became water, and different fossils get in different places. But that is what I had for the news segment of this episode, and that's pretty much it for this episode. So thank you all for listening. Of course, follow along on the social media. If you have any questions, any comments, any concerns, send them in to me. And of course, I will see you guys in the next one. Take care.